everybody. Good morning. Come on now. It's unacceptable. Might be okay for other churches, but you got to talk back to me. Uh, thanks, Burke. Be great. And then a chair. Oh, thanks, Ross. Yeah, he hid it from me. Appreciate it, man. Uh, good. Well, hey, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. So uh, yesterday morning, I thought it would be a good idea to get up, and I went on like an hour-long run, which I haven't done in a long time. And unfortunately, on top of that, I chose a really hilly thing. Um, that wasn't good. And then uh, later in the day, we thought it would be a good idea to hike up Mount Sinitas uh, and back down. And then in the afternoon, I rode on a, so I'm sore, and then I rode on a, you know, those little riding lawnmower things for like an hour. Oh, man. So my, my legs are a mess. Um, if I hobble around, you guys know what's going on. Poor me. Don't you feel bad for me? bet you do. Uh, hey, if, if you were here last week for Easter, thank you for coming back. Um, we're really glad that you're back. And I want to tell you uh, something about uh, Easter. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, man, it, who was here last week? Anybody here last Okay, yeah, cool. There was a lot of you here. Um, we, it was so encouraging. We had lots of people that um, maybe hadn't been to church in a long time, lots of stories around that, people inviting their neighbors and their coworkers and whoever that were coming in the building. And it was just really cool, and uh, we loved it. So, and we don't, um, we don't fixate on numbers and how many people and all that stuff, I mean, but we definitely keep track of it. And last year at Easter, to give you an idea, we had about 1,500 people come to our Easter services at Ascent. And uh, last weekend, we had 1,900 and about 50. So uh, that's a lot. That's a big increase in a year. Uh, pretty cool, huh? I mean, I just thought that was just awesome. So, um, so and, and the reason I bring it up is uh, one of the things that we noticed, and we, you know, we as a staff, we sit down on Tuesday, and we kind of go over how things went on the weekend, and among other things. But one of the things that we really noticed was so many of you um, you did a couple things. First, a lot of you came last weekend, and you didn't. You weren't thinking about, uh, hey, how is this going to be a great experience for me? Uh, so many of you came with the attitude of, hey, there's a lot of people here that don't normally come to church, and how can I make this a great experience for them? Awesome. Guys, I love that about this church, so thank you for doing that. And the other thing is, um, it just reminded us that it... it feels like this church uh, is very much feeling free to invite your friends and neighbors and whomever to come uh, check it out. And that's so important to us. We're so committed to creating a non-weird environment where people can uh, meet Jesus, talk to Jesus, grow with Jesus. Um, and, and so our goal, we know when you invite somebody to come to church with you, that's a risk. And your relationship with that person now changes when you do that. And we recognize that. And we try, not just on Easter and Christmas and all that stuff, we try every week to make this an environment where we never embarrass you uh, when people come in here. We always want this to be a place that speaks plain language and uh, that you feel great about inviting somebody else into. Because we want people to experience who Jesus is. And that's, that's super important to us as a church. So good job. All right. Good. So um, I want to. We're going to dive into uh, a new series this week. We're going to we're going to um, go headlong into a series called Dynamite, and uh, the little subtitle to the series is Jesus Explosive Stories. Man, 
Jesus was as good a storyteller that has ever walked the earth. And whether you've read the Bible or not, you know some of these stories because they're part of our culture, like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. Uh, Jesus was a fantastic storyteller, often because his stories didn't come in like little neat, nice packages that was easily understood. Jesus told the kind of stories where you walked away and you're like, I have no idea what that guy was talking about. That's who Jesus was. He wasn't always black and white in how he taught. There, were, there was interpretation. And so we're going to come at it these few weeks, and you got to know this as we start. Guys, you read some of these, uh, par- they're called parables, right? Parables is just a little story with a real big punch to it. And, and uh, as you read these, you're going to find out, man, there are so many different ways you can interpret some of these parables. You know, Jesus, uh, like if you disagree with something that Bill and I say in these next few weeks as we look at these, well, yeah, we might disagree with ourselves a week later, so feel free. You know, Jesus told these stories that just exploded on people. He told stories that spoke to racism. He told stories that spoke to uh, the difference between social classes. He told stories that talked about what it means to actually be following God and thinking that you are versus not. Man, he told stories about money. He, he would throw these grenade stories into a room that would blow up and surprise people with how he said, if you understand these stories in context, almost 100% of them will surprise you about what Jesus is saying. You know, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these explosive stories. And I want to start this week by talking about one that doesn't often, I'll bet you, I'll bet you the story we talk about this week, maybe some of us have never heard anybody talk about before. I know I haven't. I hadn't um, heard anyone ever talk about. This story is called The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. And we're going to dive right into that. And this week, these next few weeks, guys, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to look at the master and how he teaches. And as we do that, let's approach this remembering, like we believe that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher who came up with good stories. This is God in the flesh who is sharing stories with us. And so when Jesus opens his mouth, we can get to know who God is and what God wants from us. Because in in this particular parable we're going to look at today, this is not a like, um, man, uh, the sacred romance between human beings and God parable, right? There are some parables like that, like the, the, the lost sheep parable. This little sheep runs away, shepherd goes and finds it, puts on his shoulders, so happy, and then we can go, oh gosh, isn't this great that I'm like a little lost sheep and Jesus comes and finds me because he loves me so much. The parable we're going to look at today is more about how are you living your life, parable we're looking at today says, you know what, Jesus loves you so much that he cares about how you live today in real practical ways. Man, that's the kind of God I actually want to follow. That isn't just, you know, oh, there's some big ideas, but actually has some practical, like, no, this is how I want you to live. And that's what we're going to get in today with this uh, parable of the shrewd manager, okay? All right, so let's just dive in. This is uh, in Luke's gospel. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gospel writers, they all wrote down stories about Jesus. That's where we get our main uh, material about the life of Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus is just on a rampage telling stories. And he gets to Luke 16, he just kind of keeps on going. And so here's what you get uh, if you want to follow along on your phone or if you've got a Bible. Luke 16, uh, this is what it says. It says, Jesus told this story 
to his disciples, talking to his followers. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day, a report came that that manager was wasting his employer's money. Okay, so let's pause right there. We're going to come back to that in a second. But what we've got, I'm just, let's, let's track this so that we're all like following along, okay? Here is our rich guy. Rich guy who we think is like a farm owner, has his farm. Everything's going great until he finds out, here's the org chart. He's got this little guy who's working for him, who's his manager, and he finds out that this guy's playing solitaire on his computer all day long and totally wasting his money. He's not happy about this. Now, there's a third character in the story that isn't explicitly mentioned here, but the character's there because it says, one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Well, where'd the report come from? It had to come from somebody, right? He's... He's receiving information from somebody. So there's a third character, and that is there's all these guys over here. We're just going to call this like the community. You know, this is the village, right? That they come to the rich manager, that's my um, dialogue box, and say, oh, exclamation point, this guy is ripping you off. So now he knows. This is important, too, for just a second. Just here's why. When people interpret parables, when people look at Jesus' stories, they always try to look and say, okay, well, who's who in the story? And, and often, Jesus sets up stories where there is a God character in the story. It, like if you know the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal goes away, wastes all the dad's stuff, comes back, dad's out on the porch waiting, runs out to him, loves him, hugs him. And, and the dad in that story is the God figure. And the, the prodigal son is us. And so... Uh, in this story, we're, I'm going, my interpretation, not everybody agrees with this. My interpretation is this rich person is the God character in the story. And part of that is because these guys feel like he's worth telling that this guy's a ripoff, a scam artist. If these guys didn't respect him, if this guy wasn't ethical, then why would these guys even share with him? They probably wouldn't even tell him. No, they tell him because they're concerned about him. They actually have respect for him. This is a good character in this. But that's important because there's a surprise coming with how this person acts. Okay, so a report comes, wasting his money. So the employer called him in and said, hey, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to get fired. Like, bring me the books, Mr. Account Manager. You've been doing all my rents. Bring on in the books because I hear some bad stuff. You're going to get fired. Now, what do you do for those of you at some point of our lives, right? A lot of us probably lost a job or got a bad report or you're in school and, you know, a professor or a teacher pulls you aside and just says, hey, I, you know, says something to you that is uh, less than complimentary, you know, you lose your job or you get a bad grade or a bad report of some kind. If you disagree with that person's assessment, what do you do? You argue. You fight back. Now, the thing about this story that you got to notice is this owner is saying, hey, what's this I hear about you? He's inviting pushback. Pushback, come on. What are you doing? Otherwise, get your books together and get out of here. 
Now, the interesting thing about the story is, and this tells you what you need to know about this guy, about this steward, this manager. He doesn't fight back. He knows. Yeah. He got me. He's got videotape of me playing solitaire for hours on my computer. There's no need to push back on this. So instead of getting the pushback and the fight and the argument about it, we go straight to a dialogue that this shrewd, this guy right here, this manager, is having with himself. Look what happens in verses 3 and 4. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I'm gone. And I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I've been, you know, playing with paper my whole life. And I'm too proud to beg. I've actually been making pretty good money because maybe this guy's embezzling money. Been doing pretty well on the money thing, so I don't want to go out there. I'd feel embarrassed, you know, to beg. Aha! Has an idea. Boom. Light bulb comes on for this guy. I know how to ensure that I'm going to have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. And he concocts a strategy to win friends in the community so that somebody else is going to hire him. Now, before we get to what he does, I, I just want to pause for a second. This is kind of a side note on the parable. As I was reading this, I was just thinking, man, this is so like life. You know, when we do one thing that kind of, we choose to take a step, like let's say God's that direction. We choose to take a step in this direction away from God and we know it. Whether that's a lie we tell, somehow we cheat, something that we know we shouldn't do, but we, you know, eh, it's okay, I'm just going to do it once type thing. Man, I don't know about you, but when I do that in my life, I've just noticed that that one step in, one dire- in this direction away from God is not just one step. It leads to another step, because now I've got to lie to cover my lie, or another step, because now I've got to cheat to cover my lie and my cheating. You know, and I take another step, and you just keep going. The choice to make one step away from God, let's face it, is actually, we don't think of it this way, but the choice to make one sin, one step away from God, is actually the choice to make a lot of them. Man, and Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, nails this when he looks at sin, and he says, you know what? Sin leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, which ultimately leads to what? Death. That's a spiral. You're going to see that in this story where one choice, eh, I'm going to sit around and I'm going to waste my master's money. That step leads to more steps away. Guys, maybe just, I guarantee you somebody in this room, we're dealing with some kind of choice right now where we're like, ah, what if I just kind of bend the corner on this or it was unethical just a little bit. That one step, just be thinking that's going to lead to more steps. No, it does for me. So what, is, what does this guy do? Man, whoo, here he goes. This is where the story gets hot on, on, on what this manager is going to try to pull off. So you got the story here so far. Look at verse 5. So our little shrewd guy here, he uh, invited, he invites each person who owes money to his employer to come and, hey, let's have a little discussion. Why don't you come on in and discuss the situation? I'll just stop right there. Hasn't this guy been fired? What right does he have to pull in people that owe the master money when he's fired? Well, this guy's realizing they don't know that yet. So if I want a future job, 
I'm going to concoct a little strategy here that I think is going to help. So he pulls in people and he asks the first one, hey, uh, how, how much do you owe the master? What's your bill? So a guy comes in and here's what happens. He sits him down and the first guy replies, he says, you know what, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Man, wouldn't that be a bummer to owe that much olive oil? I just stink. I don't know what I'd, how in the world would I find 800 gallons of olive oil? I don't know. Now, <laughs> right, I don't know. This is where, this is where you got to like do a little research into like uh, what's going on in the Bible. So 800 gallons of, of olive oil was actually a lot of money. And so look what this guy's going to do. He says, so the manager told him, yeah, take your bill out, right? Get out, get out your mortgage statement. Cross out the 800 gallons of olive oil. Let's just change it to 400. So we're going to cross that out. We're going to make it 400. You are actually now getting a 50% savings on your bill. Now, the olive oil might not sound like much because we don't want 800 gallons of olive oil. But back then, we're talking about a year and a half of salary. It's a year and a half of work that this guy is offering up to somebody in the community who has no idea that this whole firing has taken place. At least, it's not evident from the text. Now he pulls in somebody else. Hey, how much do you owe to my employer? He asks the next man. I owe him a thousand, thousand bushels of wheat. Ah, well, here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800. So we're gonna not pay a thousand, we're gonna do 800, that's 20% savings. Guys, some people, again, I don't want that much wheat. But back then, we're talking about a few years' worth of salary, potentially. This is enormous savings that these guys are getting, and they have no idea what's happened behind the scenes. Man, this guy is like, we, uh, talk about unethical. You thought the solitaire was bad. Now he's giving away somebody else's money. Shouldn't this, is this guy going to go to jail? You know, back then, if you did this kind of thing, you know what, the, the, the master would have actually the right to turn this guy into a slave until he can pay off the debt that he did. And that's, as we've said, that's years of work. He could take his family and turn them into slaves. This is, the, this is the right. This is what this master has the right to do now with the steward once he finds out what's going on. So how do you think he's going to respond? Isn't this the God? This is the God figure. This goes to the heart a little bit now of what we think about God. How will the God figure in Jesus' story respond to this thief? Or just take it as a normal story. Like, what, what would you do? What if it was you? What if you were the master? What would you do to somebody who did that to you? Of course you'd press charges. <laughs> you would sue them. You would do everything you can to get your money back. The master, and this is important to understand, the master has a little bit of an issue. So what's, what would go on in the city would be like, um, some of us, you know, maybe, maybe you've got your uh, mortgage through a local bank. Let's say Elevations. What if somebody from Elevations came to you and said, yeah, you know what, uh, your mortgage is uh, 250000 Why don't you take your bill and, in your own handwriting and I'll sign it. 
uh, we're going to change that to 125000 You just saved half of your mortgage. And what if somebody from Elevations did that all over the city? Now, they didn't tell you they'd been fired by Elevations, but, you know, that got out there. The whole city is in a party. The whole city is like, oh, my gosh, Elevations is the most generous bank ever. Guys, that's what's going on right now. This manager has told people that their bills are cut, and the villagers are like, woo, it is a party going on in the city. All of them are thinking, this guy is the greatest manager. He is the nicest owner. I just love him. We're going to throw a party in his honor. Now, if he turns around, I mean, you know, social media is lit up about how great Elevations is. That's, that's happening in this village. Now, what happens if Elevations comes out and says, oh, just kidding. You know, that, that whole contract thing, that wasn't really, uh, that's a PR nightmare for them. So you got to appreciate for a second, the master is now put into a pretty interesting situation. But so how is he going to get his money back? Look at the next verse, and this is where it starts to get funky. Uh, Luke 16, 8. The rich man, our master, had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Huh? The God figure in the story is patting the thief on the back, saying, oh, that's a nice one, man, you got me. Is that, what in the world? Did you guys know there was a guy in the early church who was leading this kind of group of folk, and he basically convinced them that based on this parable, that Jesus wants you to be a thief. And that, he, he built his whole teaching on this. Jesus, you know, hey, Robin Hood, you know, this is... This is what Jesus wants for your life. Is that really what's happening? Is that, is, man, it would seem so weird, wouldn't it? That all Jesus talked about, the poor, and all Jesus talked about ethics and our life with God and how we want to walk this direction, not this direction. And now in one sentence, is Jesus saying something completely different? Wouldn't that seem so weird? Well, so now in the next verse, look what it says. And by the way, we're not sure if these are Jesus' words or if this is Luke's commentary about it. Guys, the old Greek didn't come with quotation marks on it, okay? It was like, and we figure out later what was Jesus' words and what weren't. Luke 16.8 says, And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. It's true that the children of this world, and, and I think what the gospel's saying is people that aren't necessarily following after God, care about God, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And guys, I'm, I'm making the argument that in the context here, because of how the master responded, this is a lament. This is Jesus saying, that's not good. I think Jesus in this parable, this is going to sound funny to some of you, I think Jesus in this parable is saying Christians need to be more shrewd 
Now, notice, I'm not saying Jesus, Jesus is saying that Christians need to be more shrewd. Okay, that's the guy who's in the office. Uh, the guy that, you know, this guy, that's, that, those of you watch the office. I'm not, we're not talking about Dwight Schrute. No, Jesus is saying, you need to be more shrewd. What does shrewd mean? Because some of us, you hear that word and it's like, what? No. Here's a little, a uh, couple words on shrewd for you. Astute, cunning, wily. Here's a question for you. As you look at your life, I'm guessing you can identify some places where you are very cunning. In your work, your business. I'll bet you're cunning. You know, I, I know some really cunning college students who have figured out how to get A's and never attend class. <laughs> you know, like, there's, you can be cunning in school to get the right grades. You can be cunning in so many different areas of your life. Are you cunning when it comes to what Jesus is saying about advance my kingdom? Are you cunning? Are you shrewd? Are you taking the same thing that you do in another area of your life and applying it to the area of your life that maybe is the most important thing? How are we advancing the kingdom of God on the earth? And I think Jesus in this parable is saying, be cunning. Be shrewd, because the world around you is. Now, let me caveat it with this before you, before you start throwing stuff at me. This isn't the only place that Jesus talks about being shrewd. There's another place. When, when Jesus was um, getting ready to send out his disciples into the world, man, he was sending them out. This is going to be tough. He's sending them out into a world that's not extremely, you know, like, woo, we love this new Thing. We're, we're ready to embrace it. That's, that's not the world Jesus sent his disciples into, his followers into. And, and so, in fact, he said it's more like you're a sheep going out among wolves. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 10. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Come on, Honestly. When is the last time you've thought about, you know what, there's a command in my life from Jesus to be shrewd. Jesus is saying, I want my followers to be cunning. Now, the great thing about this passage I just read, he also says, be innocent. Now, sometimes I think we look at our lives and we think, you know what? I know a lot of people who are shrewd and cunning. I don't know a lot of people that are innocent as well. Or I know a lot of people who are innocent, but man, they sure lack common sense. You know, we sometimes set this up as an either-or proposition. What I love, love about what Jesus says here. It's not or. I want my followers to be and. I want you to be cunning and innocent. We're not complimenting this guy for his bad ethics. The scripture doesn't say, oh, the rich man had to admire the steward because he was so dishonest. It doesn't say that. It says had to admire him because he was so shrewd. Now, he lacked innocence big time. 
But I think our call as Christians is to look and say, am I applying the same kind of cunning that I do in other ways in my life, but am I doing it with innocence? Man, that, that's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You know, I, why does this matter? Some of you are like, oh, okay, great. What does that mean? How's this, how's this work out in real life? So uh, my wife and I, Karen and I, are, uh, we're trying to work on this house. We bought this old house. And there's trees in the yard. And some of them are, you know, old, so they're dying. And when we bought the house, we decided, you know, we can't have these trees, like, that are dead near our house. The wind's going to come up. It's going to blow on the house. It's going to fall on the kids, fall on the house, fall on the dog, whatever, you know. Can't have that happen. So we, um, we started looking around. It turns out some of you are like tree cutters, and you're, you're like, man, you're rolling at it. Because it turns out that people that cut down trees make a ton of money to cut down trees. It, the, the quotes we were getting on to cut down like four or five trees, it was like three or $4,000 to cut down these trees. And I'm going, oh my gosh, that is crazy money. So I'm like, I, I can't pay that. So I'm tempted to get out there with my hatchet or something, you know, and just do that thing. And instead, I finally figure out there's this guy who cuts down trees and he's willing to cut down my four trees for $1,000. Awesome. And he's willing to get rid of the stumps once he's cut them down for another 250 bucks. Like 1250 bucks. This is a no-brainer given the other. I still don't want to pay 1250 for this, but, man, that's better than three grand. So I call this guy. He, we arrange for him to come out. comes out to my house. Guy shows up. He's got his crew, his truck. He just starts taking a chainsaw to everything. I'm, I'm loving it. Like, I'm videoing it. You know, this is the greatest thing ever. This guy's just hacking trees down in my yard, slicing them all up, throwing them onto his truck. This guy works his tail off all day long, puts all of them, uh, all the trunks and everything onto his truck, and then he's getting ready to leave, and there's still stumps left in our yard. Like, you know, good-sized stumps. And he sits me down at the end of the day, and he says, hey, man, um, I'll be back tomorrow to take out your stumps. I, have to, I, I don't own my own machine that is a stump remover, so I rent it. And uh, they only rent it on Tuesdays, so I'll be back Tuesday morning, which is the next day, and I will remove your stumps. I'm like, great. I'm like, okay, so I said $1,000, right? He goes, yeah, you know, it would be really helpful, though, if you just pay me the $1,250 now. Um, so yeah, you know where this is going. Um, it'd be helpful if you just pay me the 1250 now so I can rent the tool and I'll be back in the morning and take care of your stumps. Uh, there was a piece of me that went, I shouldn't do this. And then I wrote a check for $1,250 and handed it to him. And that was eight months ago. Um, <laughs> who thinks those stumps are still in my yard this morning? <laughs> So I called the guy, and I'm like, hey, man, where are you? Um, he's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm really sorry that I'm not there. I just, uh, my kid is really sick. He's at the hospital, and so I'm going to care for my kid in the hospital. He, he had an adult son that I met who was working with him, too. I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And I was like, hey, I didn't tell you this yesterday, but I'm a pastor. Can I, like, pray for you? You know? He's like, sure. So um, then he didn't show up uh, two weeks later when he was supposed to be there, and I called him again. Hey, man, what's up? Why didn't you come? Uh, my kid's still sick, and then the hospital. Oh, I'm like, so sorry. So I'm like, man, I wonder what he's got. So I go on to his Facebook page. I hunt him down on Facebook, and I find the kid, and the kid had taken pictures that day of him fishing at Brainerd Lake. 
I'm like, the light bulbs are starting to go off now. You know, unfortunately, this guy totally worked me over. I was going to, you know, we were going to call him and like, you know, pretend like we were a new customer and see if we could get him to come. And then I looked him up online and there was like an extensive criminal history <laughs> of just ripping people off. I was like, oh, let's not call him then. Man, I just got worked over. And I tell you that and go, okay, but isn't Jesus okay with that? Doesn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Somebody slaps you on one cheek, just turn them to the other cheek. Somebody asks you to walk with them a mile, just walk with them another mile. See, I, I, don't, I actually don't think that that's what that passage means. Guys, I look back at that and I go, I really believe what Jesus is saying in this is, is these words. I think Jesus is saying, look, be shrewd. Be shrewd, be cunning, so you can be generous. Be shrewd so you can be generous. Man, if I had that 250 bucks back, I don't know that I would actually have done this. But I would love to have that 250 bucks back because it turns out that Officer Haymore, who we work with on our, um, on our toy drive, has like invited a lot of those kids that he brings toys uh, to at Christmas time, has invited a lot of those kids to go to sports camp this summer, which they can't afford. That 250 bucks back could have changed one of those kids' lives if they show up and have sports camp paid for them. Be shrewd so you can be generous. This is going to sound funny. Listen, I'm serious about this. If you're in your 20s or you're approaching your 20s, you should be starting an IRA or a 401k when you're in your 20s. Why? I'm telling you, you do that over the next 30, 40 years, you keep doing that, you will be the person in your 50s and 60s who is helping launch churches like Ascent. There were people who were extremely cunning and shrewd who gave money to this church, and I am so thankful to God that they weren't all just innocents. They were both shrewd, and innocent. Be shrewd so you can be generous. If you find yourself in debt, are you being shrewd to get your credit card bill down? Man, pick up a copy of Dave Ramsey's book. Read about how do I get out of this so that I can be shrewd so that I can be generous. With your taxes, are you figuring out the best way to maximize your return so that you can be shrewd, so that you can be generous? You know, as bad as the tree thing was and as dumb as I felt, I'm still mad. I still have the guy's number in my phone. I should just erase it, but I can't. Um, as bad as that was, one thing Karen and I did well was we said, you know what? We're going to buy the cheapest home in the best neighborhood. That was our philosophy about houses. We're going to do that. And then, because if you wait two years... You can sell it tax-free. We're going to live in it two years. We're going to sell it, and then we're going to buy the next cheapest home up in the best neighborhood. We did that four times. Don't make a ton of money at the church, but we have tried to be shrewd about that area that we can control, and our goal is to be generous with that. Guys, don't get ripped off by Comcast. I'm serious. <laughs> If you are two years into your contract, here's a little challenge this week. Call them. Tell them you're switching to AT&T. They will knock your bill way down. Take the leftover money and give it to sports camp or something, right? 
Help some high school kid go to Cuba this summer. Be shrewd so that you can be generous. Guys, Jesus, I think, is not saying be shrewd so that you can, you know, be rich. He's saying raise your standard of giving, not just your standard of living. You do that, I think, by sometimes applying some shrewdness. It's, and it's not just money. Are we shrewd? You parents, are, uh, like we're in this together, parents. Are we being shrewd about how we're thinking about parenting? You know, I knew a kid once, uh, gosh, it's tough. Kid, very normal for middle or high schooler to um, sometimes not share everything with their parents, right? We know this. This, this kid, middle, uh, was a, actually late middle schooler at the time, this middle schooler uh, went out with his friends one night and one thing led to another and he found himself with alcohol in his hands and the next thing you know, this kid's drunk. Eighth grader. Eighth grader had never done anything like this before. Kind of thought about, man, I have a pretty good relationship with my parents. How disappointed they would be if they found this out about me. But the eighth grader decided to make a risk. I'm going to tell my mom. Eighth grader goes to the mom and says, hey, um, I have to tell you something. And just confesses the whole thing. Here's what happened. The mom, now, those other parents, you know, like your kids will tell you some stuff and internally it's just like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Like externally, this particular mom in this story, let that be known. Oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing. Haven't I raised you better than this? Oh my gosh, this is the most awful thing that's ever happened. Said this to the kid. Do you think that eighth grader ever told their mom anything again? No. Guys, in our parenting, man, we have to be shrewd about how we're thinking about how we communicate with our kids. Because we can shut off communication so quickly if we don't. It's so often true that in the name of innocence, sometimes people suffer because we are not bringing our minds and our cunning to the equation. And again, I really believe whether it's your money or your parenting or some other area, Jesus is saying, man, bring some cunning and bring your innocence. I don't normally do this. I promise I won't do this often. Um, but I have to pick on another church just for a second. This is terrible. And when I say this, just know, like, we make big mistakes at Ascent. And so if you see us do them, just point them out. But I was, um, I was down in Denver last week, and I just had this, this kind of moment. I, I was down in Denver, and I was driving by a church, and it's a, a church that sits in an area where tons of traffic goes by it. And I just started thinking, like, man, who's in those cars day after day? Who's in those cars driving by that church? And outside on the big marquee sign of the church on Easter week, they had uh, this sign up. It said, Maundy Thursday, 7 p.m. this week. Pretty innocent, right? I'm telling you, not shrewd. How many of you in here know what Maundy means? Anybody in here know what Mondi means? Don't be shy. If you know what Mondi, just own it, man. Just own it. 
I don't see one person with their hand up in this room who knows what Mondi means. How many of you think that those thousands of cars that are driving by that church who are not, have nothing to do with church, have not, who are maybe thinking about coming to Easter services that week, how many people that aren't familiar with, have any kind of church background know what that means? I'm telling you the answer is zero. I think sometimes, what does this matter? I think sometimes for uh, people that are not following God, they often look at the church and they think, man, oh yeah, it's a cool little insider's club. They've got their own language, their own little rituals, their own things they do, got to dress a certain way, got to do this, got to do that. And I'm telling you, this sign reinforces that. Because not only do any of us in this room know what this means, nobody driving by knew what that means. And I guarantee you those people are thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I would expect from the church. Maundy Thursday sounds like a secret code that I'm not a part of. In the name of innocence, not shrewd, not cunning. Guys, for those of us who have maybe grown up in the church or been around church for a long time, Man, let's think about our language. Let's think about the way we talk and act around people that are not following God. It's so clear when you read the New Testament. Paul is like, you need to do this. Apply your shrewd thinking and your innocence. Your money, parenting, the way we treat people that are outside of the church. There's a million other categories we could talk about. Guys, here's, here's why I love Jesus. The most shrewd move in the history of the world was to leave heaven, come to earth as a human being, and die on a cross, and then come back to life. Are you kidding me? Nobody saw that one coming. Incredibly cunning. That's the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be. If that's what he models, man, can we model that too? Guys, what's, what's one way this week? What's one thing that you might do where you go, you know, you know what? I'm actually really shrewd. I need a little more innocence. Or maybe I'm kind of innocent and I get taken advantage of. I need to move in this direction. Maybe there's something this week that God is calling you, just in a simple little story like this, to say, apply them both. Move forward this week. You're going you know, to live into who Jesus made you to be. So what I want to do is I'm just going to take a second. I, I just think it's great for us sometimes to take a moment. Just, I'm going to give you like 20 or 30 seconds of silence here where you can pray. You can talk to God and just go, God, where am I on that? Which way? And would you do that in me this week? Maybe I need to be shrewd so that I can be generous. So God, we give you this. It's just a funny but brilliant story once again where you teach us something that shows you love us because it deals with our everyday practical lives. God, could we just think practically for a moment with you about uh, something that we might be able to move forward in this week, either in the way that we are innocent or shrewd. So hear us, God. We're going to uh, just talk to you for a moment.